The Leftovers Season 3 is just getting started, so we're just getting started here at Post Show Recaps. Hello, everyone. I am Antonio Mazzaro, and this is the return of The Leftovers Podcast here at Post Show Recaps. Thank you for tuning in. I am not the normal host of these podcasts. Normally, that is Josh Wiggler, the person that I am stuck on. But Josh... I don't know where Josh is. He sleepwalks. He may have departed. He will be back as we cover The Leftovers Season 3 here at Post Show Recaps. But as a way to introduce this season, I wanted to kick off a very special episode of The Leftovers Podcast at Post Show Recaps here and reintroduce a think tank we did for Season 3 at the end of last season, talking about what we might want out of a final season of The Leftovers, what we might expect, what we're looking for in terms of answers, spoiler alert, not many, and what we're hoping they don't lean into. And that recap we recorded after the announcement of Season 3 with Rob Sesternino, AJ Mass, Josh Wiggler, and myself. So we'll be getting into that here in the context of this episode. But I also recently completed a rewatch of The Leftovers myself, as I'm sure many of you did. And I wanted to highlight just a couple of things from that rewatch, which I think stuck out to me, and I think we might get into addressing here in Season 3. So that's what we're going to do today. And as the season starts, we'll be back probably Sunday night or as soon as possible after the episode on Sunday, recapping the premiere of The Leftovers. If you think about what happened with last season's premiere, (laughs) we had no way to expect. We could have spent an hour recording a preview podcast like this and have our breath entirely be wasted as we ended up in Jarden, Texas, covering none of what we would expect from our stories in Mapleton. So... We're going back here now and looking into season three, not with a prediction of where we're going to go story-wise, but some of the things that are left dangling, the major themes that are in play, and I think that's kind of what we hit in our season three think tank that we're going to introduce here. Josh and I are very much unspoiled on this season, so we didn't want to waste a ton of breath with information that is already proven to be false by what uh, Tom Parada and Damon Lindelof are saying in the media about this season of The Leftovers already. So we decided to go back to where we were to put ourselves in the shoes that we occupied at the time that we departed last year on this podcast and look at what our expectations were then. We'll talk about talking points from the finale, things that we might want to see again, not want to see again, and so forth. So that is what's coming today. We certainly appreciate you subscribing to our coverage of The Leftovers here at Post Show Recaps. That will help us throughout the season. If you are not subscribed to this podcast feed, please do so. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash leftovers iTunes. That's postshowrecaps.com slash leftovers iTunes. If you use iTunes, if you use another podcatcher or some other way to listen to podcasts, you can use the link postshowrecaps.com slash feed slash leftovers. That's postshowrecaps.com slash feed slash leftovers. Your subscriptions, as well as your honest star reviews and ratings, especially at the beginning of this season, are an incredible help to us as we record these podcasts. They are what move us up the charts in iTunes. They are what gets more eyes on our podcast. More eyes means more ears. More ears means more voices. And more voices means robust coverage of the season as we continue. Your feedback, your questions, your comments, they drive so much of what we do when we make these podcasts, how we look at what we're going to talk about. The the points of view, the diversity of the audience that we have for this podcast is incredibly appreciated. The more eyes and ears, the more of those voices, the better. So please go to iTunes and leave us a review or a star rating if you are so inclined and do subscribe to our podcast. With that in mind, I do want to hit some of these points from my rewatch of The Leftovers. Hopefully, if you are so inclined, you were able to do so as well. But (laughs) a Leftovers rewatch, first of all, 
not the easiest thing to do in the world, right? It is not a show. And Rob Sesternino, you'll hear him on the Think Tank, talks about how, oh, I breezed through this. Hey, you know, a few episodes here, a few episodes there. Must be nice to live in Rob's robot emotionless world. For me, it's very difficult if you're putting several episodes of The Leftovers at once. There's a lot of there there. There's a lot of weight to these episodes, a lot of emotional weight, a lot of story weight, the music, the performances, the absolutely just heart-wrenching things that happen, especially in season one are very, very difficult to bull your, bull your way through as you're trying to watch on a rewatch. So that was the first thing I learned. Leftovers, not the most bingeable show. The second thing I really came away with after my rewatch is that I'm wondering about the actual narrative value of so many of the mysteries from season one. I know The Leftovers is the jeopardy of television shows and that it presents answers in the form of questions. I get that. I get that we're meant to ponder our existence and ponder the lenses with which we see the world or through which we see the world. But The Leftovers is also a story that is heavy on mythology. There are these things that we're wondering why. The big question that is in play for the characters and for us is why. Why is Kevin Garvey doing the things that he's doing? Why did the departure happen? Why are the dogs acting the way they are? And there are so many mysterious things that happen in season one. The National Geographic magazine, for example. The dogs, the various visions of Kevin Garvey that once we hit season two... And we have a full-blown goofball, Kevin Garvey. They're not the same. Uh, they just don't matter in the way that they probably could if you're talking about a season two that didn't establish Kevin Garvey going full cuckoo bananas, seeing ghosts, and trying to kill himself multiple times. So, Or at least one time that we know of. So there is that. There is that element where we spend a lot of emotional and narrative investment in season one in these mysteries. And I think when we leave season one and we look back and say what season two did in response to season one, I think the real resonance of season one is emotional. And I think that's the main takeaway from the show, of course, that the main resonance of the show is emotional. This is not a narrative that is meant to entice the brain in terms of being a page turner. This is a narrative that entices the brain in terms of considering the possibilities that an event like this could create in society, both on a micro level with the individuals that we're talking about and on a macro level uh, with everything that's happening at society to society, uh, the different departments that are being created in the government, insurance, cottage industries, cities like Jardin, Texas, and uh, with season three, perhaps uh, stuff that is happening to people like Kevin Garvey Sr. Uh, that's one of the major things we talked about in our think tank, somebody that we want to see more of, the Damon Lindelof referred to as a starting pitcher who they've been using as a relief pitcher. So as we get into season three, we have to consider what things we might want from an emotional standpoint as well as a narrative. As I said, if we recorded this podcast ending season one, I don't think we ever could have predicted that we would completely change and shift the venue and completely change what's going on in terms of the story of the show. The stakes of the show, though, don't change. The emotional stakes, the stakes for the characters that we know, whether it's Kevin, whether it's Lori, whether it's Nora Durst, the emotional stakes for those characters don't change. So the thing that I'm putting my finger on is no matter what happens in season three, if we start in prehistoric times, if we start in the future, if we start in outer space, or if we start in the afterlife, we're going to be tracking what are the emotional stakes for the characters? Who are these people? And what emotional stakes do they have 
have in the world of the departure, the world of all the things that have happened. And I think that's the thing as we evaluate the leftovers that we need to be tracking, the emotional stakes for Kevin, for Nora, for all of our characters, but for anyone that pops into the story. If it's a prehistoric woman who lives in a cave, who has a baby, what are her emotional stakes? If it's characters like the Murphys, who we had never seen at the the start of season two, what are their emotional stakes? What is their play within the course and the context of this world? So I think that's a very important thing that I track from this rewatch is it really comes to fruition. It comes to the front of the story that the narrative of the story is really not that important. It's the emotional impact. The events of the story, specifically the departure, but everything after, are having on these characters, how they process these things, the attempts they're making to get through life. And that's the interesting thing about the world creating, that the world building that the leftovers did, the way we look at these things and the way we're evaluating. If you'll recall, the events of the leftovers were three years after the departure, and there was this belief that after a three-year period, people would start to quote-unquote wake up, and that maybe the guilty remnant's sole purpose was to try to create that, that if anyone was trying to get with their day-to-day lives and forget about the departure and move past it, uh, the guilty remnant was there to remind them, you can't move past it. The world ended. Our world literally was fundamentally changed and altered on that day. And for you to go about your daily business like it didn't happen, or like that's something we can remember one time a year, you're crazy. And you need to wake up and you need to stop wasting your breath. So that is really the the context of that first season, and it really does play out in a rewatch, because when you watch it, it doesn't really matter with this National Geographic or disappearing bagel or a deer that might be spotted or why the dogs are crazy. None of those things matter at the end of the day, because in season two, we shift directly to Miracle, and we take a Kevin Garvey, who maybe he was some mystical warrior or whatever he was in season one, and we put him in a situation where we know this very specific problem that he has, uh, and that being that he's being followed around by a ghost of a woman who killed himself, her killed herself in front of him. So as we enter season three for Kevin Garvey, my question isn't so much like, what, is, is Kevin well or or what's going on. I, I want to know like what has Kevin done after everything that happened in season two? Where is he emotionally? Is he cured? I, as I said, that may not be an answer that we get. I don't want to see Patty returning, but it might be something that happens. It, it might be a situation where Kevin Garvey is not cured. Uh, we just don't know where we're going to be. If Kevin Garvey's even going to be in the first episode. So that's something, though, that I am tracking. We have Kevin Garvey, this character who maybe can't die, <laughs> who was shot in the chest and should have died, who didn't die, who drank poison and was buried in the ground and was supposed to die and didn't die. So is this a character that can't die? Is this something that will have profoundly impacted Kevin, these events of season one and season two? And where does that leave him in season three? Surely it would have profoundly impacted him. So what decisions has he made in the aftermath? Are we going to pick up right after we left off in season two? Or will there be some time passage? Will we go to a new city? Will we go to a new area immediately? Or will we pick right up where we left off in Miracle? We just don't know that. So regardless of what we do there, what we're tracking or what I'm tracking is Where is Kevin emotionally? Where is he in terms of processing everything that's happened in his story? What are his beliefs about himself? And what is he doing to mitigate any danger that might present uh, in in the form of the things that have happened to him in the past? So that's... That's the first thing that I'm tracking. The second thing, though, and I mentioned this as part of what was happening with Kevin. Kevin Garvey may believe that he can't die. 
On a rewatch, one of the things that pops out is we hear about this guy, David Burton. If you'll recall, David Burton was somebody that the crazy man who lives on the tower in Miracle, Texas, was addressing a letter to in Australia. Uh, We don't know much about him when we first see his name. That's all we know. Then in later episodes of The Leftovers Season 2, we do hear his name. We hear that he was dead in a cave and emerged after several days alive. And we hear that that action, along with maybe other things, have created in David Burton the belief that he can't die. That he, perhaps like Kevin Garvey, is in a position where, for whatever reason in this world now, things that happen to him mean that he can't die. Does that mean he goes to the International Assassin Hotel every time he enters into a life-or-death situation? I'm not sure. Was David Burton himself the character that we saw in the International Assassin episode and in the later episode when Kevin returns. And I'm talking about the Australian man who is the bridge keeper in International Assassin, who tries to hang Kevin Garvey, gives him the opportunity to hang himself rather than push Patty into a well. And then later is the karaoke MC somehow. Like this guy's job is bridge master and karaoke MC. I don't know how he's paying his electric bill. But if he can't die, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe he stands in his house and says, come for me. Come shut my lights off. What are you going to do? Kill me? I don't think so. So I don't really know if that's David Burton. I don't know what his ultimate plan is, if that is him. I don't know if he's going to be in this story in season three. I can't help but wonder, though, those parallels that we see with Kevin and David Burton. And if this is David Burton who was part of his international assassin story. And this was an Inception-style thing where they were present in each other's moments or memories, and therefore they're connected on some astral or uh, spiritual or physiological or galactic level that is not something we scientifically understand. It remains to be seen. I think season three should at least hit this on some level. I think the David Burton character, his comparisons to Kevin, I don't need to know the answers, as we say so many times with this series. I don't need to know the answers of how those things have happened. But I am curious. I am curious as to whether or not we're going to get any follow-up on this character. It seems that we've introduced him indirectly in season two. And if we spend any time in Australia at all, because that's, of course, where David Burton is, in season three, like we have speculated uh, in our think tank, then I think that we might see David Burton. He might play a part in this story. And if he does... What part? That's an interesting question that I don't believe is answered. He He's a guy who believes he went to the other side and can't die. We've heard that with Kevin Garvey. So where does that leave us? Another question that I have or thing that I tracked from my rewatch and that I'm looking at going into season three is the stuff with Kevin Garvey Sr. Mentioned briefly earlier here that Kevin Garvey Sr. played uh, wonderfully by the fantastic actor Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn, as Damon Lindelof said at the end of season two, is a starting pitcher. He has the talent to lead a thing. And they have used him as a relief pitcher, a bit player, somebody who plays a role in the story but isn't a, a key role in the story or isn't a starring player. And Damon Lindelof said at that time, if we get a season three or if we're doing a season three, we might be more interested in that starting pitcher role for Kevin Sr. And Sr. is a key element of this. If you go back to season one, the stuff between Kevin Sr. and Kevin Jr. is odd, to say the least. Kevin Sr. is hearing voices. He's throwing this weird National Geographic magazine at Kevin on the regular. He's telling him that the voices are sending someone to help Kevin 
Jr. He's saying a lot. He has an unusual relationship with the mayor of Mapleton in that it's a May-December thing, but he's in the December and she's in the May, which is not always how that plays out. Uh, and he's also kind of in a very difficult place mentally, so she's stuck by him on some level, but then later doesn't. We don't really know a ton about Kevin Sr. We know he was theoretically a really good man. He's receiving a Man of the Year award when we do a flashback to the events right before the departure. We know that the departure caused something in him to shake loose, and we see flashes of him running naked through the town. I don't know if we're going to flash back to that in Season 3. It would be a pretty funny story to tell, and I know Josh is a big fan of the Juicy Butts, so that might be something that we see in Season 3. But the Kevin Sr. story in and of itself is fascinating because there are the parallels to Kevin, but he's on his own plane, and the plane that he's on, we just frankly don't know too much about. We don't know too much about what made him snap, We don't know too much about the issues that he might have had before that. We don't know too much about the history that he might have had with some of these other characters. We also don't know too much about what he was up to when he popped up an international assassin and said he was on some drug called God's Tongue and was starting some kind of crazy fire in a hotel room in Perth, Australia that was very similar to the hotel room that Kevin was in. Is this something metaphysical? Is it something physical? Is it something Kevin imagined? These are the questions that the show repeatedly asks us to ask ourselves. However, Kevin Garvey as a character, Kevin Garvey Sr., that is, uh, is a character who there could be some more clarity drawn around. If he's got his shit together, if he's thinking correctly, he is in many ways a guy who has run ahead of Kevin on this path. Uh, He had his own mental issues, and he says the way he recovered from that is to not ignore the voices, but to start listening to them. And I think we saw what that looked like for Kevin Jr. That looked like him tying a rock or tying a rope around his legs and holding a rock with the other end of the rope tied around it and jumping into a river. Not good. Not a great look for Kevin Jr. So what does listening to the voices mean for Kevin Sr.? And where does that place him in the context of whatever story we tell in season three? If we're talking about value that you get on a rewatch, there's a lot of that Kevin Sr. stuff in season one. There are a lot of these mystical scenes between Kevin Sr. and Kevin Jr. The fact that mental illness is in and of itself sometimes hereditary, there could be a completely scientific explanation for why both Sr. and Jr. are bonkers. But... There could be something else in play here. And I think that's what I'm interested to see season three tease at. And I don't think we're ever going to get the lines drawn very clearly. We'll talk a ton on our Think Tank podcast about science versus faith and whether the show's mysteries can ever be explained fully one way or the other. My takeaway from a rewatch, though, is that there are some things in the show that can't be explained by science as we know science. But... There is the very important part of that that means that, that, that I think is established through the first scene of season two, which is that science as we know it can evolve over time. There are things we can learn which matter. If you look at that first scene of season two, the woman leaves the cave with her baby. The rocks fall down and break the cave. She's in a position where then a serpent bites her as she's trying to protect her baby. There are birds flying above. She's by a river. All of this is stuff that at the time, this woman has literally no knowledge of science as we know it. She may know if that snake bites me, I'm going to die. She doesn't understand why. She doesn't understand how to combat that. She doesn't understand what may have caused the earthquake. And people at that time would have created answers based on their understanding of the world at that time. And I think that's the key element as we look at the leftovers. As Damon Lindelof has said with Tom Parada in interviews previously, 
This is a show where 98% of the population did not depart and 2% of the population did. Well, if that's the case, they said that 98% of their show can probably be explained through science. And 2% of the show is mysterious. Mysterious doesn't mean psychologically paranormal or something that is completely metaphysically impossible. It means metaphysically impossible, perhaps, as we understand the world currently. We might look back a 100 years after the events of The Leftovers in the context of The Leftovers story and say, oh, of course that's why the departure happened. This latitude lined up with that longitude, and it was at this time of day, and it was when this particular planet was aligned, and these forces were created. We may understand things differently scientifically that could later explain the events. What The Leftovers has always been about for me, though, is... That's later, in the moment, in the moment of the now, we search for answers because we don't have the answers to that 2%. We don't know why they departed. We don't know why Kevin Garvey is seeing what he's seeing. We don't know how uh, Eddie Winslow, the psychic, can name, the, can name check the fact that uh, Meg's mom had walnuts on her salad the day that she died. We don't understand these things at the time and in the context of the science we know in the show. That doesn't mean that they can't be explained. And I think this show seeding itself on this continuum with the woman in the prehistory and with everything that we know in the context of the show and with magazines from the 70s about archaeology and science, we're placing ourselves ultimately in a continuum where knowledge evolves. It evolves through the search and quest for knowledge. And that that search and quest for knowledge is what we do while we're alive here on this planet. The answers that we create, they don't often make a ton of sense. Sometimes they rely entirely on faith. Sometimes they're completely made up whole cloth or someone has said them to us. Sometimes it's Holy Wayne hugging away your pain, but that kind of actually works in the moment for some people. We don't know why. That's not a magical thing. It could just be a psychological thing. And so as we look at the world of The Leftovers, I think that we're going to continue to see a show that just revels in those distinctions, that revels in that quest for knowledge, that really eats its lunch in the area where all of these things are happening. And more than anything on a rewatch, that was reinforced for me, that there are these things that we don't have the answers to, but there are people that are trying to answer them scientifically. People are buying Nora Durst's house in Mapleton just because of something that happens there, so they can study it scientifically. People are saying that Nora Durst is some kind of lens, and you start to think about that scientifically, and Freddie Rumpson uh, from Mad Men, who is, uh, I believe the actor's name is Joel Murray, uh, he's coming into the situation where he sees Nora Durst. He's a member of the same department that she worked for. He's coming to Jarden to investigate these departures. And he's telling Nora that this lens theory, that there are people who may have localized departures. There are people like Nora Durst to whom people around them disappeared. He thinks their people might think there's some scientific credence to that theory. And then we see people investigating Nora Durst who believes she's possessed by some kind of demon who has come back to the earth and Laura Durst immediately starts laughing because that's not science, right? That's, that's faith. That's religion. And the wonderful intersections and cross sections of these sorts of things that happen in the leftover. As I said, this is where the leftovers eats its leftovers lunch. Uh, this is where we are with the show. So we're going to continue that. I hope in season three, I think at the end of the day, that's the main value of this show is how it shows over time, how we have looked at these things and tried to search and strive for answers to the unknown 
no matter when the leftovers goes off the air, it's going off the air after these eight episodes. Uh, we as a society are going to continue to ask those questions. We as a society are going to continue to be faced with these existential and very real dilemmas to which we don't have an answer. And as we look to the skies and as we look to the ground and as we look to our past, we're going to try to create all these answers based on what we know and based on leaps of faith. And that's ultimately what a lot of this show does, no matter what season you're watching. So I'm really excited to see this season to the show continue to revel in this. A few more one-off things that I'm looking forward to in season three. I'm looking forward to whether we'll see Patty again. We see Patty last in episode eight uh, of season two, International Assassin, at the bottom of a well being choked out by Kevin Garvey. If that's the case, if that's the last we see of Patty, that's fine. I have a feeling that's not the last we're going to see of Patty. I don't know that Anne Dowd, the character who plays Patty, is going to be a recurring actress on the show. As I said, Josh and I are pretty much unspoiled on what happens in season three. But I'm very curious as to whether we've, we've seen the end of Patty or not. Clearly, there are ways to bring this back. We can do flashbacks. We can have dreams that aren't actually ghost dreams that are just Kevin being worried that a ghost will be following him around. There are ways to do this. Uh, But it's also something that if the show leans too heavily into this, maybe people are going to be a little bit frustrated if we're repeating the patterns of season two. Something else I'm tracking and that I don't know, so please don't spoil me on, the credits for season three. We had a change in credit sequence between season one and season two. Your mileage may vary on which you prefer. I love the second season credits. I've seen people that don't love the second season credits. They have a very tonal difference uh, with the credits from season one. It's a song by Iris Demet, whose voice not, may not be for everyone. I happen to love Iris Demet, so it's perfect for me. There is a third verse of her song, Let the Mystery Be. I tweeted this. You can look at the third verse. I would love it if they found a way to incorporate the final verse from that song into the credits from season three. That would be fantastic. And I uh, I don't know if we're going there. Uh, this is a show where the credits for season one were downer to say the least they were definitely a downer they were they were not a debbie downer but they were a downer in that they were discordant they were very uh, ethereal there were these frescoes of the departure and all these people that were floating into space and we dealt with ultimately the sadness from those credits and then we put those in front of what was ultimately a very depressing and downer sad show Season two, it felt like more of a mission statement. The, the, the pyre, the, the refrain of that song is let the mystery be. And it's very much about what people think about the afterlife. Uh, they think they're going to come back as, uh, carrots in the garden of sweet peas. They think that, uh, they could go to heaven. Some people say you're not going to come back. Some people say you will. It's very much a personal statement on these reflective questions that I was just talking about. That's what the show, that's what the show's mission statement with those credits for season two was the third verse of those credits by the way some say they're going to a place called glory and i ain't saying it ain't a fact but i've heard that i'm on the road to purgatory and i don't like the sound of that i believe in love and i live my life accordingly but i choose to let the mystery be i think i believe in love and i live my life accordingly but i choose to let the mystery be i love the idea that the third season of leftovers of the leftovers may come away in some way shape or form with that 
as some kind of ultimate takeaway. I love that idea because this is a show which has not had the most room for that as a conclusion, which has been so caught up in mysteries and pain and the things that have ultimately drawn these characters down negatively that we haven't had a lot of room to breathe when it comes to love and living lives accordingly when you have that as your message. And so I would love to see a leftovers world where characters are trying to put their best foot forward and not so drawn down by all of these things that have negatively impacted them. That would be fantastic. I'm not sure we're going to get that. So that is the third verse from that song. I'm just curious overall what the titles will be. My understanding is there may be information about this out there somewhere. I think critics have seen this already. So I'm curious as to what they ultimately end up doing. Can't wait till Sunday night to figure that out. The other thing I'll finally say by the, 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 the by means of wrapping this up here is I did mention the critics here and uh, critical reports for this season of the leftovers. Critics have seen the majority of this season are to put a word, uh, to put a word to it. Phenomenal. Uh, people are saying maybe the best final season of television ever, uh, best show of 2017, and it's not even close, and it's early, and I don't see anything topping it, uh, a perfect end to the series. I don't know that critics have seen the finale, but they've seen enough to make incredible proclamations. As a matter of fact, HBO made, I think, seven episodes available to certain critics, but they said, listen, don't watch all seven episodes, okay? Just watch a couple episodes, write a general critical overview of the season with basic facts, and go on. And most of the critics were like, this is too good. I'm not stopping. Why would I stop? This is ridiculous. I can't believe you want me to stop. You give me seven of this thing. That's incredible. And you tell me to only stop at two or three? Forget it. So they went through and watched them all. And there have been articles written about that, that they couldn't help but binge, even though they were told not to. So... That's something really to look forward to here. The Leftovers has always been more of a critical darling than an audience darling. I think the audience that's listening, especially if you're listening to this podcast now, we are uh, the 92 whatever. We are spared. We are the very few people left in the audience of this show who can't wait to see the resolution of it. So on that level, we're all very excited, and it's very encouraging that the same people among us, people in the hardcore audience, the critics who love this show, think that this final season is fantastic. It's a lot to live up to, but if there's any show that can do it, if there's any show that on a week-to-week basis can surprise us, can gobsmack us, can hit us in the face, can make us contemplate our existence, frankly, uh, it's this one. So... I suppose for a show that's often depressing, it's hard to say that I really look forward to this season of The Leftovers, but I do. I really look forward to this season of The Leftovers. I look forward to talking about this season of The Leftovers with you on Twitter, in the comments, at our website. We look forward to having your comments for our podcast, what we're going to do this season. We'll try to be live as close to the episode uh, ending as possible when we can be. If we're recording, we'll try to do that as close to the ending of the episode as we can be and get it up as soon as possible. You can always tweet at us using the hashtag PSRecaps, and we'll see tweets that were sent using that hashtag. You can tweet to me about the leftovers at any point. I am at AC Mazzaro with two Zs and one R. Josh is at Round Howard. So you can tweet to either of us your thoughts and questions about the leftovers. You can also go to postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. Postshowrecaps.com slash feedback to send us longer form questions that we'll get and be able to address. To the extent that there is a desire for it or there are episodes that call for it, we are prone to doing midweek podcasts, emergency podcasts, feedback podcasts about the show. I think in season two, we record an extra three or four episodes total about what was going on throughout 
And I would not expect that we wouldn't do the same thing for season three. I think there's a good chance we will have feedback shows throughout the week. Maybe not every week. It just depends on whether you guys want it or not, whether there's enough feedback, the time of our recording, and so forth and so on. But I have a feeling we're going to have some very big episodes and some big moments throughout the course of this season that we're going to want to talk about then more, more so than just a quick recap episode uh, afterwards. So be on the lookout for multiple episodes uh, of certain podcast uh, coverage here at Post show recaps of the leftovers uh, we'll, we'll be covering it more than once a week uh, many weeks so be on the lookout for that we're certainly very thankful again for your reviews and ratings at itunes listen if you've listened to this podcast for a couple of years now and you like what we do here at post show recaps just please do us a favor and leave us an honest review. Uh, and I, I know I said that only if you like what we're doing, but yeah, be honest. If you like what we're doing, go there and tell us. If you really could go to postshowrecaps.com slash leftovers iTunes, that will get you to the iTunes page for this podcast. Star ratings and honest reviews are always welcome, and they mean a lot to us. They really help us with the podcast. So thank you again, everyone, for listening. I will now walk us right into our think tank from postseason season two when we learned that season three of The Leftovers was coming, and we're resetting a lot of the main storylines from season two. We're talking about the things we felt were handled well and some of the things we might like to see from a final season of The Leftovers. Again, that's with Josh Wiggler, myself, Rob Sesternino, and AJ Mass. So thank you again, everyone, for listening, and with Without further ado, 32 minutes of ado that is, here we go. The Leftover Season 2 is over, but we're just getting started talking about The Leftover Season 3. It's officially happening. We did it, everybody. Hello, guys. I'm Josh Wiggler. Welcome back to Poster Recaps, our third round of Leftovers podcasting this week. Uh, hopefully this is actually live as opposed to Sunday night. Uh, we are live here now talking about we live here now and talking about the future of The Leftovers now that it has officially been greenlit for Season 3. I'm here with Antonio Mazzaro, my main man. Antonio, how are you doing? What's up, Josh? I'm very happy we're getting a season three of The Leftovers, and I'm even more happy that we have Rob and AJ here to talk to us today, not to spoil your next introductions. Yeah, well, you absolutely just did, so let's just get, <laughs> let's just get into it. But we've got AJ Mass here, who has co-anchored episodes of The Leftovers in the past. AJ, how's it going? It is going great, Josh. Pleased to be back. Uh, yeah, well, welcome back to the show. It's psyched to have you on here. I didn't depart. Don't worry. I'm still here. I There's thought maybe you were on God's tongue, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just can't understand what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited to figure out what this guy is saying. Rob Sesternino, who is obviously the main man here in RHAP and Post Show Recaps, who is a sudden arrival to The Leftovers. Rob, welcome to our dojo or our hotel, I suppose. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. I feel like that AJ and I are basically like the John and Erica of season two that we have just now joined the, uh, joined the cast here for this conversation. Does that mean AJ is just going to secretly run out on you or desire to run out on you? Yes, yes. He was going to leave the whole time, and uh, I'm going to shoot one of you two by the end of this. Josh, yeah, I'm the Josh. Erica because you couldn't hear what I was saying. Or wait, no, shouldn't I be the one the hearing problem? Because you Never buried mind. a bird yeah. right before we started this. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I hope the bird survives. I don't know if we've got those kinds of magic powers. Uh, but yeah, this is exciting, really fun. This is our third Leftovers podcast that we're doing here on Posture Recaps this week. If you haven't checked out everything that we've been doing already, go to posturerecaps.com slash leftovers iTunes. You can subscribe to all of our leftover stuff there. We had a, a reaction show on Sunday night after the finale. Antonio and I recorded an epic two-hour feedback show with your feedback fueling our conversation. And I don't think that we expected to do another Leftovers podcast quite so soon. We definitely wanted to get AJ and Rob's take on the season, and it kind of just all together that the season three renewal news came like five hours after Antonio and I hung up on, on each other. 
Uh, so, so that happened. That happened pretty fast. That escalated quickly, Antonio. Yeah, it really did. And I, we were immediately kind of old news by the time that went up, which is fine with me because happy to get the uh, news about the renewal of the leftovers so soon. Damon Lindelof had promised we would probably hear something by the end of the year, but we heard it by the end of the week, which is even better. Yeah. Um, so AJ, you've been on you've been on the podcast this season uh, already. We haven't heard from you in a few episodes. Can you just give your your take on on how you thought that the season wrapped up? Um, thoughts on the fact that season three is coming up? What's just your overall leftovers mood right now? That's very very positive. I mean, I thought that there wasn't a bad episode in season two. I thought every episode just had such compelling stuff, and by the time. Uh, Kevin arrives back at his second stay at the uh, Assassin Hotel. I mean, I was just over the moon. Just, you know, I just blurted out, that's freaking brilliant. Like, I, I rarely shout at my TV, but I was just like over the moon at how, how well that episode played. Just the, uh, the, the music for this, this episode, uh, you know, just, it just is such a character, uh, with Max Richter's uh, score and, and the, uh, instrumental version of the Pixie song. It, it just was just, a great momentum to the finale, and I just, I just loved it every second of it. Um, Rob, you're new to the leftovers. First off, how did that experience go for you? Binging the entire series basically in the course of what, like a week and a half? Yeah, I, it was great. I really uh, enjoyed it, and I feel like that is probably a show. And there's so many shows that are probably better on on the binge. I think that there's probably few shows that you could say are better on the week to week than than on the binge. And you know, even if you had an episode, I know that Josh is uh, not a fan of like the uh, the Holy Wayne stuff Stop. from season Stop one. It. But it, then it's over, and then you move on to the next episode and it wasn't like you had to sit and dwell on a week of like where is this show going what is the direction of that so i think that you could sort of like get through any of the rough patches and then just to have like basically i was watching about like an episode and a half a day for about a period of a week and a half as i was like up in the middle of the night with a newborn and it was uh it was very fun i really it was a very immersive experience uh with, with baby lily uh in terms of like uh what what the characters were going through uh with having to watch her so I really did uh, love it on and, and you know, I didn't I, I didn't find it to be, uh, you know, super, uh, super depressing or anything like that. It was it was, it was just really, really a, a great show. Maybe not since Breaking Bad. Have I binge watched a show that I enjoyed this much? That's awesome. And one of the things that you said to me when you were talking about watching the show was um, when Antonio and I, we recorded our leftovers for newbies podcast and we talked about, you know, give it some time. It takes a little while for the for the show to heat up. If you if you get to episode six and you're not loving this show, maybe it's just not for you. But you had said to me that even early on, those episodes weren't much of a slog for you. Yeah, I think that once you get past episode three in the first season, I think then that's sort of like all systems go. Yeah, um, because you you had said that you know you know that these characters are building towards something big, so you can uh, you can start getting invested in them in them now, even if the show doesn't feel you know, entirely fully formed. Right. right. For me, uh, somebody who has like uh, friends that I trust their opinion of greatly saying like, no, this show is really, really good. It's it wasn't really a leap of faith for me. It was sort of like, you know, er other people have or have already walked across the invisible bridge before. So I kind of knew that it was there and I didn't have to be that first person to take that leap of faith into uh, the abyss. So I sort of knew there was safety on the other side and it was a good, you know, it's an easy rewatch, especially to binge watch a show like this where you're only talking about two seasons of 10 episodes. Like there are so many shows that it's like, uh, hey, binge watch the West Wing. You know, it's like, uh, sorry, Antonio, there's too many episodes there. Yeah, but I understand. This is easy. This is no, you know, 20 episodes is a nice. Uh, it was only 19 for me, ultimately. 
Yeah, and I'm, we're happy to have provided you the leap of science, Rob, and it's much easier there to know where the bridge is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, all right, so let's, let's talk about season three. Let's start opening up the door on that. This was a really awesome thing that happened yesterday. I was out to lunch. I was not in a great mood for a variety of reasons, and I just opened up my phone and was starting to get slammed with Twitter notifications, being like, hey, your podcast has been renewed. Uh, so it was, it was a very exciting way to get the news that The Leftovers was coming back. Um, I had kind of been emotionally preparing myself for the fact that it was probably not coming back. It wasn't a show that was widely viewed. It didn't seem like it had the numbers to back it up. But if you know, if you're judging based solely on critical acclaim, it couldn't get better than than what we got. Um, so, Antonio, what were, what was your reaction when you found out that season three was happening? Yeah, basically the same thing. I HBO has kind of uh, it's been sort of hit and miss with really good shows and renewal uh, in the last couple of years. They they had the show Luck, which was getting really good and had a great cast, but they had some issues with uh, some of the killing horses. animals. Yeah. yeah, so this is not that you know on other shows apparently killing horses is fine, but on HBO's Luck it was no no bueno. So they had renewed that show and then they canceled it uh, after the renewal, and so. Then I was a big fan of Treme as well. And in the case of Treme, the ratings were super low. They did get a full three uh, seasons of 10 episodes. But after the third season, and this is a David Simon show, creator of The Wire, HBO wanted to stay in the David Simon business. They've since made a miniseries with him. But they only gave him a small budget for Treme season four to kind of wrap everything up. And that was only five episodes. So really, I thought just about anything could be on the table here. We could see, and there's other examples, obviously, that, I, that I'm not going to mention about times when HBO has maybe s- slowly killed a show or you know soft renewed and then canceled a show or changed their mind. Uh, in this case, I was happy to get a definitive answer. I'm hoping it's a full season order. I don't know if anyone's seen confirmation on that yet, but I hope we get a full 10 episodes of The Leftover Season 3. And there, I do think that there are shows that are better served with a shorter lifespan. A lot of people have said that to me and echoed those sentiments on Twitter uh, over the, the course of, you know, the last few days. And I think this is a show that the longer it goes on, there's there's a greater possibility uh, that it loses a lot of the punch that it's got. So I'm happy to have one more season. Yeah, it's a little disappointing. It's just going to be the final season. But I think when we take a long look at uh, three seasons of The Leftovers, it will have been a really good trilogy of seasons. And I think that as long as we get 10 episodes, we're going to be there. Um, AJ, what's your take on the fact that this is going to be the final season of The Leftovers? You know, yay, renewal, but also, boo, it's going to be the final season? Or are you excited that it's going to be something that they can end it out on their own terms? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think as we've uh, learned that if you have an open-ended thing and you've got this overarching storyline, sometimes you stay in that uh, vamping mode for a season or two because you're not exactly sure how long you have to tell your story. So having a definitive endpoint, as we learned with Lost and you know other shows, you know, knowing, knowing where you're aiming towards, I think can only help direct the show uh, and, and make sure it doesn't waste any time with storylines that, you know, maybe, you know, in a longer, you know, five seasons could live out there for a while. Now we know we've got whatever the number of episodes is, it's, that's all we've got. So we got to make sure that it's, you know, beginning, middle end. Let's, let's not miss any beats there. Plus I, you know, I, I think three seasons is perfect for this show. Um, I, I think, you know, and I'll get into it if we start speculating where I think the season will go. But, you know, I, I think this show in particular has has a really good three season length to it. You know, first season with, with the Garveys and then we introduced the Murphys in season two, which kind of paralleled season one. And I, I think having one more season to continue those parallels uh, while wrapping up the Garvey story, I think is, is going to be very essential. 
Yeah. Um, so we'll start speculating. Let's do that. That's what, that's what we're here for. So speculate away. What do you think that season three of The Leftovers is going to look like, AJ? What, what are your expectations given where we left off in season two? Jardin's on fire. The Garveys are, if not at their best, they're at least all together. Um, what, what do we think uh, this show is going to look like when we come back for one last act? Well, like I said, to continue that parallel thing, I mean, you know, in season one, you know, uh, a family member of the Garveys joined the Guilty Remnant, uh, whereas in season two, a family member of the Murphys joined the Guilty Remnant. So there's that direct parallel. In season two, uh, you know, one of the Garveys has uh, a haunting, someone stuck to them. Why not have a haunting if someone stuck to Mr. John Murphy? Uh, Patty killed herself and stuck herself to Kevin. Virgil killed himself. Why isn't Virgil going to be stuck to John in season three? Oh, man. Ghost Virgil? Are we on board for Ghost Virgil? Can that be the first idea that we're approving here for season three? Rob, how do you feel about that? Are we sending that one to, to the aisle, or what are we doing with that one? <laughs> I don't Is know it going, to, going Samoa? to Samoa? I don't yeah. know about that. <laughs> but for me, in terms of the renewal, like I kind of had like uh, mixed reactions to it. And while this show was so good, and obviously I want more, I'm sort of of the mind of like, but could they do it again? Like, sure, maybe they could, but they could also just screw it up. And I'm kind of like, I wonder if this is really like, you know, hitting on 19 or 20 with this show because it was so good. I felt like it came to uh, such a nice place uh, to end the show, at least especially the journey of Kevin Garvey. Like, I don't know how you now make, uh, you know, you're going to pull this family apart again. I almost am hoping that season three is uh, really starting to get away from the Garveys. As much as I love those characters, like I feel like it's just going to start to feel a little bit like, you know, sort of these other serialized dramas where we're just sort of like revisiting the same things over and over again. Like I felt like Mad Men really started to get into that towards the end of sort of like, okay, we have these problems, we fix them, and then the same problems just keep happening again for the Garveys to all start to uh, split apart again. So I am excited about the prospects of season three because I love the show so much, but I kind of am concerned that to do 10 more episodes, I, I don't know. I don't know how we could possibly stay at this sustained level for so long. And, and if we do, then we have to start talking about it as one of the greatest shows of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's the thing is coming back for, for season three does bring with it a ton of pressure in that writer's room because they did just cook up one of the great seasons of 2015, at least. Um, and yeah, where, where do you go from there? And I was, I was on uh, the Jay and Jack podcast last night and we were talking about uh, you know, the pressure of the leftover season three and Jack was like, oh, if I'm Damon Lindelof, I'm freaking out and I'm almost hoping for cancellation because I, I almost, I'm almost hoping to not have to, have to face that one down. Antonio, do you share any of those concerns that Rob is expressing, or I see you shaking your head a little? I, I share the concerns a little bit that Rob is expressing. I don't share them so uh, boldly expressed by whether that was Jay or Jack. But what I'll say is that Damon Lindelof did a lot of vamping uh, or just kind of singing for his supper, as he was calling it, uh, lobbying for the life of the show or whatever he expressed to Alan Sepinwall after the season. And he seemed very confident that they have a little bit of story left to tell. And this end of the show by the third season is being labeled as his choice. So that tells me he has a fairly, and the writers have a fairly confident idea about what they want to do with season three. But they, I think, maybe share some of those concerns that Rob has about extending the life of the show beyond that. And that's why if it's by their choice, they're not going to do this thing where maybe it's our final season, maybe it's not. Mike Schur is the showrunner and co-creator of Parks and Recreation. That was one of my favorite shows that 
at least five times throughout the length of its run, had to create a season finale that had to double as a series finale. And that is high wire work. It's very difficult stuff to do. And I know that on a show like The Leftovers, it's probably even more difficult than it would be on a sitcom like Parks and Rec. So I'm sure Damon Lindelof is not interested in trying to perform that jujitsu on a season by season basis. And I think knowing that we've got one more season, I'm very confident that they can do a 10 episode season that doesn't detract from what they've done uh, and that doesn't play out any of their jokes or not jokes, but any of their motifs or things that they've established. I mean, we might get a reference to International Assassin again, for example. Um, Maybe we'll get a full episode, but I don't really think that we're going to get it to the point where we wear it out as a gimmick uh, or it takes away from the previous episodes. I think Damon Lindelof is very cognizant of that fact um, and is very motivated uh, to continue telling the stories they're already talking about telling. So I'm confident the show can do one more. Beyond that, I think we would start to run into uh, possibilities of, of of greater problems. Right. Um, AJ, how about you? Any reservations whatsoever about there being a season three, or do you feel pretty confident in the ability to the, of the show to repeat what it just did, or at least come close to it? Well, I mean, as someone who actually went into the theaters and watched episode one of Star Wars when it came out, I mean, certainly I know <laughs> that, you know, expectations are a horrible, horrible thing to have to live up to. So, yeah, oh my certainly God, we're one week fear. away to the day from, uh, yeah. from <laughs> where's little Gar- children reliving that exact experience. Yeah, Gargar Binks. Oh God! No. <laughs> yeah, you know, if the, yeah, if the season starts <laughs> well, off har, and then har. there's some sort of trade what regulations. Color pacifier. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> trade regulations in uh, in Miracle, and uh, you know, suddenly the dog comes back. Oh, I talk now. Misa talk. <laughs> You're so bad. Eleven. <laughs> Misa thinking yeah, I, of I joining the guild to Remnant. All right, I want the leftovers to be canceled now. You guys are convinced. <laughs> <me. laughs> Thanks. Good job, guys. We're done. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, they, there's a story. It's, it's on his own terms to make it one season. And I, uh, I, I think there's plenty of uh, material left with the Murphys, uh, especially. It doesn't have to be so Garby-centric. Uh, I, you know, the questions are out there. It's, it, will will Kevin's father come back from Australia and, and, and will we see him again? I think that's important to finish uh, a little more of the relationship between between the Murphys and, and find out uh, where their family goes and, and wrap that storyline up. I think those are certainly, and of course, uh, you know, something that we have to deal with is is, is the pregnancy. Uh, you know, Mary's pregnancy is going to be taking shape. Maybe Meg is pregnant uh, after her, uh, you know, uh, relationship <clears throat> with Tommy. Uh, so, you know, there's two babies there. Is Maybe there some Tommy sort of pregnant. Christ antichrist thing going on in season three? Uh, I think that's possible where there could be a debate as to maybe one of these is the chosen child or something. And perhaps the, the evil one ends up being uh, the one that Mary gives birth to. Uh, you know, there, something on that regard could happen in season three. And I'd be fine with that. Um, do you think that there might be uh, could we be looking at time jump? Is time jump in, in the cards? I know that we've, we've been getting a lot of feedback from people before we started recording this, and I saw that from a few people. Do you think, um, Rob, do you think that, that The Leftovers is going to skip forward in time at all as we get into season three, or do you think we're going to be picking up pretty close to where we left off this year? I feel like that's pretty likely. I think that we're going to see a bit, of a, a bit of a time jump. I'd be very surprised if we do one of these seasons where we pick it up right from where we're at you know, the Garvey's house there in Miracle, and then we're sort of like going through everything with uh, what's going on with uh, Liv Tyler and, and the Guilty Remnant in Miracle. I think that we probably pick things up where... That that has sort of uh, calmed down to some degree 
and there's something else that's sort of brewing. I, I do feel like that there will be in the way that season two was felt like its own chapter of the story. I feel like season three is going to follow suit and pick up with its own individual chapter of this story. Antonio, what do you think? Yeah, I think that that's probably right. And I think that there are ways to do it, as we saw in season two, where you can revisit some of the things that were established in the previous season without making that the whole focal point of your season. And I will say that I I think there is a lot to be done and said uh, about what happens in Miracle after kind of the, the, you know, Merrick Hill Valley, as we've talked about, like the alternate 1985 world where all the McPoyles, all the people from outer Miracle are now <laughs> inside the town, uh, setting things on fire, yeah. doing beer shots, just like causing problems and wreaking havoc. There's some of that. Is, is that a full season, though? Probably not. But I mean, Meg and Mapleton and New Rochelle and the Guilty Remnant in upstate New York and all of it, um, that's not uh, that's not a full season either. So I think that the show knows that the point of view episodes really bring a lot to the table. And I think they'll continue to use that format. And in using that format, I think they can do an Australia episode, for example. I think they can do an episode in set with John Murphy in Miracle. I think they can do the Jill episode or the Nora Durst episode that maybe they wanted to do more of this season. And I think that there's a way to kind of do that without, uh, without, with, you know, with, with changing the focal point in general, um, unless all the Murphys move and all the Garveys move and everything goes to a new town, I don't see us leaving Miracle behind, but I see us spending a lot more time away from Miracle or at least as much time away as we did in this season for sure. You know, uh, AJ, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think Antonio's hit the nail on the head. It's the point of views and, and you need the Australia episode of at least tie up uh, you know, Kevin's return. So I, I think definitely that's kind of the course of the season. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if, you know, towards the end, we maybe John gets shot and we find out what happens to him when he is facing death. I, I, it may not be to the hotel, although it may be at the hotel. I think it would be interesting to see, um, you know, give him a chance to answer the question, uh, you know, does everybody go to that hotel or not? And I think they would answer on the side of not, but that wouldn't necessarily mean that the hotel didn't exist. Right. Yeah, well, one of the things that Lindelof has talked about, you know, or he he addressed in his statement on the fact that The Leftovers is coming back for season three is we look forward to, you know, giving you an emotional walloping and remaining completely ambiguous about everything, as is the show's design. Uh, And something that Antonio and I, we were floating uh, back and forth during the feedback show was, well, if, if we go back to the International Assassin Hotel, that airs really firmly on the side of Supernatural. Um, so, Rob, for you, do you think that the show is now that we know that it's going to have a final chapter, it's going to have a final season? And one of the things that's been cool about this show is that it's danced on both sides of the line. Where, like you could read things as a man of science or you could read things as a man of faith. You could see things in in both directions in almost every case, not every case, but most of them. Um, do you think that the show is going to come down on one side of the aisle for for either of those directions, or do you think that the show is going to be able to tell this story and still be pretty ambitious? Yeah, I love this question, Josh. And I think I probably feel more strongly about this than either of you guys do in listening to you guys talk about the show. I think there is no ambiguity. I think that you can no longer, with the events that transpired in the back half of season two, explain everything away with science. It, it's you can. There's so many things along the way that you could say, okay, well, there could have been a scientific explanation for that. 
but at the point where there's like 12 different things that you have to say, well, there, you know, there is this scientific way that you could explain this one thing, but then when you start to factor in, but then there's this thing, then there's this thing, then there's this thing, there's no longer any way that you could say that the show can exist in a world purely of science. And I think that there's a number of things that you could point to, uh, specifically in the hotel episodes where there are things happening and Virgil being there and stuff and, and, right. st- and stuff like that. But on top of that, Kevin Garvey should have been dead three different times <laughs> that there's a miracle. There's a miracle that happens where he is trying to kill himself. He's under the water with a cinder block. The water goes away. And sure, I guess you could explain away. Oh, well, there's fracking that happens and there's earthquakes in that area. Okay. But, fine okay fine and then also that you know the the, that he ends up coming back from the dead for no good reason i mean he he never gets the shot to the heart that's supposed to revive him that's supposed to be the antidote to what happens he's like oh well maybe virgil didn't give him exactly what he's supposed to but the thing with the bullet how i mean he's shot at point blank range where the bullet goes through him and he doesn't get any sort of treatment for this i mean you would think that he he should have completely bled out he does not it's not explained there's too much here at this point with all this stuff with you know uh with with uh, with matt and 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 mary and the baby and you know, there's so, so too many things at this point that you can't say that it's ambiguous anymore so do you think if they try to make the show in a way that they do have some of this stuff as ambiguous, if they if they have story points that they're trying to be like, well, you could read it one way or the other. Do you think that that's a mistake going into season three? Or are you saying that they should just double down and make it supernatural? I, I kind of feel like that it's a cop out to say that it's not at this point. And I kind of understand why Lindelof is afraid to say that, because then people will sort of sort of start to, you know, make the he's been there. Neg- he's been yeah, he's that. been there. But even with, you know, with the stuff with, uh, you know, Eddie, Eddie Winslow and uh, what, what, what is it on the, the, the uh, walnuts on the salad and stuff like right. that? You know, how did he know that there's no way there's too many things that you can't just explain away. So I think that um, the ambiguity is a cop out at this point. Um, Antonio, what's your take? I mean, that it, that's been something that you and I have loved as we've been going through these podcasts and going through every episode is how many different ways you could read certain events. But Rob's bringing up some good points that a lot of it is is fairly firmly supernatural, or at least, or at least, or at least you can really read it as heavily supernatural. Um, what's your take? Do you think that the show is going to go, you know, full in on, in that direction? Do you think that it's still going to have some ambiguity? Is there still ambiguity for you right now? Yeah, I like the. I mean, uh, Rob is right, but I also do like the quote from Damon Lindelof, and I, I apologize, I can't remember what interview it was from postseason, where he basically said their take is generally that look, ninety eight percent of the world's population was fine, two percent of the world's population mysteriously just disappeared. Our show is ninety eight percent on the level, two percent of it's mysterious. And in the mystery, you're going to implicate or involve your own answer. A lot of people are reading Kevin Garvey as a shaman. Shamans are a real thing. Like they exist in cultures throughout and throughout our world and have existed throughout history. There have been academic journals and papers written about them. I mean, this is a thing that exists in our world that we don't know everything about. And different cultures have different beliefs. And sometimes I think if we took a long look at some of the things that have happened with shamans, we wouldn't believe them. And I do think that there are things in our world, like psychics, for example, that some people can't really explain. A lot of the times, if you're talking about the Long Island medium or people like that, like we've talked about on this podcast, yeah, that some of that stuff is hokum. And you can look into it and you can say, oh, well, they knew who was coming. They did their research. They planted people, whatever. Or they say broad enough things. But in the Eddie Winslow case, walnuts is pretty specific. 
So yeah. I do think there are some things in our world that we just can't explain, even though we're in modern times, even though we know a ton about science, there are some things that, that don't make sense to us and probably won't. And maybe in a hundred years, uh, new elements will be discovered or new scientific methods will be used. And they'll be like, can you believe back then that people thought X was this when Y is obviously true now? Uh, that's entirely possible. So I don't have a problem with a show that presents us a world where there are some things that don't make a lot of sense and that they are mysterious. And if they double down on that, that's okay. Um, I just, I, right now, I really like the balance the show has struck um, in that, yeah, I do think that they leave these things open to our own interpretation. And if you want to interpret all of them scientifically, I think there are a few things that uh, Rob has mentioned from this season that present a problem uh, for your scientific interpretation. That's not to say there's not some lens-like example or explanation that someone will eventually develop that can explain Eddie Winslow's walnuts. But until then, uh, I like that it's up to the mystery. And I think, you know, the, the, the mission statement from this season of the show, Let the Mystery Be, um, is fascinating because I don't think that any of us really enjoy doing that on the whole, on the show. I think we like reveling in the gray areas. So I do hope the show continues to present us those gray areas. Can I, can I also add just one more thing? And, and I also, you know, I don't, I'm not one of these people where I'm not, I'm not falling into the lost trap of like, okay, well then they need to explain away what, ha what happened then, or they need to explain this mystery. I'm fine with letting the mystery be, but we can't say that there's a scientific explanation for every single thing. There's just like, there are mysterious things happening and, I feel like to say to every single one of these things that comes up, it's like, you know, well, you could explain it this way, explain it this way, explain it this way. I feel like it's almost a disservice to the emotional impact of what's happening on the show. Yeah, I think there are some things that defy the scientific explanations as we have them currently. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, you talk about the lost trap, uh, which is I, I feel like that's that's an interesting way of putting it. But we are we're getting into the final season of a Damon Lindelof show that is about a lot of things that cannot be explained by science, some things that can, but, you know, a show that takes place in this high concept world where this inexplicable thing happened um, and many inexplicable miracles seem to be happening right now. And the last time he did this, it did not go so well. A lot of people did fall into maybe this lost trap of expecting answers, even though this show has been designed um, with, with, the, with the idea of let the mystery be, let the questions be what they are. We're not going to answer certain things. AJ, do you think that going into season three, going into the final season, there's going to be some sort of different expectation from viewers that certain questions have to be answered? And maybe for you, are there any specific questions that you feel the show absolutely has to address going into its final year? Uh, yeah, well, I think you need to answer questions of, of plot that you've, you've, you've hit on. Like, you know, I'm willing to grant them that, you know, they don't have to explain what happened with the departure. I, I'm fine with that because they established that right off the bat that, you know, they don't know. And sometimes when unexplained things happen, the answer is, I don't know. And, and I'm fine with that. Um, but you can't let things happen that they've made such, like I said, they've made such a big deal about, uh, you know, Virgil hurting John. And I think that has to be addressed in season three because it's been such a big plot point. You know, if the girl, you know, if we didn't know what happened to the girls and they just left that hanging and said, oh, well, we'll never know, that wouldn't have worked for me. So the fact that they wrapped that up in season two, um, I think that's something they had to do in season two in order to earn a season three. So I think there are certain certain plot points, and I'm sure there'll be more that come up uh, in the very early parts of season three that they do need to answer because plot needs to be answered. But in terms of... 
the grand setting of, you know, we joined this show in the middle of things and this had already happened. It wasn't something that was introduced in the course of season one or in the course of season two, the, the departure. That was just something that existed. And I'm willing to grant you your show's premise at the beginning that this happened. And okay, you didn't, you, if you're not going to explain that, I'm cool with that. I don't need that answer. But if you're going to bring up a major plot point, um, and the best that you can do is like, you know, come up with some sort of dumpster ex machina in the, in the last few episodes to explain everything away, then, then, then that's not going to work for me. Yeah. Um, Rob, how about for you? Are there any, are there any questions that this show is going to have to answer for you? Do you agree with AJ that it's more on the plot level rather than the higher concept mysteries? Or are there any of the big, big mysteries that you really want to see them try and tackle with the definitive answer? I mean, to me, the Virgil thing, I I don't really see that as that big of a, of a mystery. I kind of feel like that that was, uh, at least explained, explained, I felt like in some of the dialogue of that, uh, you know, it seemed like that there was some sort of like, uh, you know, inappropriateness between Virgil and uh, I'm not sure if it was ultimately John or uh, or the other son, Michael, uh, in terms of what he did. But I mean, did, did you guys get that that read also? Yeah, Antonio and I were talking about this on the feedback show. Antonio, what, what did we land at? Uh, I think it's just kind of open right now. Like, you, you know, there that is, I think, one of the things that the show was a little vague on. I mean, cor- clearly, Kevin says, to John, like I, I, he told me what he did to you, and John says that's a lie. Uh, and does that mean that he did it to Michael? Does that mean that it was Evie? Does that mean it was someone else? We don't know. the The math of it doesn't make a ton of sense that he would be Erica's father, and then that John would be involved, unless John and Erica grew up together. And then would you grow up and marry? I mean, there's a lot of questions there that I think we don't have the answers to. So I don't think it's really clear right now. That's not the kind of stuff that's bothering me. What I want to know, what the show needs to explain to me is why did Evie give a... a, an imposter cricket to John in a box? (laughs) Why? It makes no sense. Yeah, the faux cricket. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's the great thing about having Evie back on the show is that Evie can, you know, if she decides to speak, if she ever speaks up, you know, maybe she can, she can. (laughs) But no, no, she's not going to speak. She's just going to sing it. I I think that that if you are coming into, (laughs) she writes or sings. That's that's it. Those are the two speeds. I think if you're coming into this final season with any expectation that anything will be that anything plot point will be resolved, I think that you will be disappointed. I think it's about the emotional reckoning for all of these characters trying to come to grips uh, with this event. And I think that maybe the key character going into this third season is going to be Meg because the show starts really with her introduction into the guilty remnant and season two sort of escalates with her becoming sort of the, you know, the big bad of this other, this other group. And I feel like season three could be the culmination of whatever she's going to ultimately do next. And we're sort of connected to her through, you know, she has this uh, relationship with Laurie. She certainly has this relationship now with Evie, which uh, the Murphys are connected to it. And I wonder if maybe we're going to be following her wherever she's going next. And maybe the Murphys are sort of in tow because they're trying to get back connected with Evie. And then Tommy also has this relationship with Meg where maybe, you know, that's how he's, you know, the Murphys are sort of connected back into it. But I feel like that Meg is the central figure to follow in season three. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, given the fact that she had been on the bench for so much of season two, but when they finally started utilizing Meg, she was just such a magnetic, explosive presence that... Yes. She was magnetic, yeah, she really was a true magnet. Uh, these electromagnetic properties on this show. Uh, you know, she was so good, and I, I agree. I think that there's so much more to do and unpack with that character. So I, I really hope that uh, that that's someone that we're that we're following. Um, and Antonio, for for you, 
what needs to be addressed in season three? Like, what are some of the big plot points or mystery points or anything like that that you really feel like the show has to dive into now that we know that we've got one last season of the show? Yeah, I, I'm with Rob on Meg uh, being a central character. Mm-hmm. I We talked about, we had the, the great comment from Colin Stone uh, that there's a lot of question marks about how Meg and Evie kind of set things up. And maybe that will never be addressed, but I'd feel a lot more comfortable about that whole storyline if I kind of knew a little bit more about that Evie too. Um, why, what, what was really the genesis of her desire to track down the guilty remnant or join the offshoot, the Jarden offshoot of the guilty remnant? Uh, those sorts of things, they matter to me because those are the sort of lingering questions I have after this finale. Of course, I have questions about international assassin and is Kevin a shaman and how he keeps coming back. But I'm comfortable letting some of those mysteries be like we've talked about. But some of the actual plotting of the show, I'm a lot more interested in. Uh, And I think the Meg character really comes center stage on that. We also had uh, some interesting feedback. And I I, I apologize. I can't um, I can't remember uh, what post it was on or uh, where will where who who said it. One of our uh, listeners posted this that they really hope the show doesn't detract into a love triangle between Kevin and Nora uh, and Lori. And I really echo that. I think it's yeah, that was a, that was a comment from Marshall Kistner on our fa- uh, Facebook page. Yeah. And so I agree with Marshall on that. I, that's something I wouldn't want to see. I do want to see a lot more uh, in terms of Kevin and Nora. I, I want to know, is Kevin going to go and tell Nora everything that's happened to him uh, in the last kind of, you know, three days of the show? Um, or is he going to be vague? Yeah, I, I, exactly. We saw what happened when he told her about Patty. So, um, you know, is he going to go even deeper? Is he going to is Kevin going to double down with Nora or like, not? Nora? I'm, I'm not only am I not crazy now, but I'm immortal, too. Right. Isn't yeah, this awesome? This is great. We can do lots of weird I'm things leaving. now. Yeah. yeah. So I'm out. I, I don't know. Uh, I so I'm interested to see Kevin and Nora. I really um, I don't know that uh, I don't know that Lori coming into the mix changes things is kevin really over lori i i I'm, I'm worried about that because i agree with marshall like if they don't handle that correctly that could descend into something i really don't want to see the show do but i do want to see uh the the kevin and nora kind of relationship continue to progress and especially in light of what they've both experienced in the last few days yeah um no i think that's i think that's great i i, I lost did the love triangle thing not very successfully that was one of the biggest maligned points against Lost. so hopefully that's a lesson that lindelof uh took away from it uh aj for you how about some characters that you really want to follow up on uh going into season three who are some of the people that you're really interested in focusing on uh, i'd like to see a little bit more about uh the relationship with jill and uh and the younger murphy kid i, I think that was an interesting relationship that didn't get a lot of time um, and it, I'd like to see them interact a little bit more, uh, especially since, you know, all the circumstances have changed with their families. They, they can kind of relate to each other. And, and uh, you know, a little bit more of the, of the Jill Laurie relationship. If Laurie is going to have any connection to the season, I think that's that's the in, um, you know, trying to rebuild her relationship with her daughter. So I, I think Jill as a fulcrum would be a really interesting uh, part of the season. One character I do not want to see this season uh, at all, is, as much as, you know, we, we all love her, uh, but... I don't want to see Patty's doppelganger show up. I don't want to see. Come on. You know, and, and, no, I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe Kevin, I should, just, it's me, Maddie Levin, <laughs> Patty's twin. I, maybe as a throwaway joke gag in one episode, one scene, maybe, 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 maybe. So but good. Yeah, because, yeah, because Andes are great. But, uh, you know, I think if we end that, I'm fine with it. Uh, you know, 
But other than that, I, I think Jill is the fulcrum for me. I, obviously, we're going to see Meg, but uh, I think a little bit more Mary. She was also, you know, in, in comatose for you know for half the season. So let's let's let the let's see what she can do with it with a little bit of acting and some actual dialogue. Other than right. where's that? Where's Matt? Where's Matt? Um, Rob, a lot of people are obviously so pumped that you watched the leftovers and you haven't gotten to give your take on it yet. Who are some of the Who are some of the characters in in the show that you really responded to? See, uh, well. I- you know the characters. Uh, there's, there's so there's so many characters. I, I'm actually, um, you know, I'm kind of good with not exploring the Jill thing. I, and Jill, you know, she's a great she's a great actress, very very pretty young woman. But you know, I kind of feel like that she's never really had a storyline that I've inter- been interested in, except when her friend was sleeping over all the time, and uh, it, w- <laughs> it was like a will they or won't they with uh, Mr. Garvey. Uh, oh, that was I, I was interested in that storyline. But uh, but that being said, I I kind of feel like that. Uh, just going back to Meg again, I almost feel like uh, could we potentially see like a bit of like a Hannibal or like Silence of the Lambs type thing where Laurie is the person that was in the know in the guilty remnant and maybe she's the person where it's like the Murphys look at her. It's like, hey, you were able to get out. Could you be the person to help get Evie out and talk some sense into her? And she has that connection with Meg. And then uh, I wonder if that's sort of like the the way to keep because I feel like Lori has nothing to do at this point if you're not using her in some way to because I, I mean, obviously, I don't think we're going to get, you know, Kevin and Lori back together. We're so invested. Everybody loves Nora. And so Nora then has nothing to do if she's not going to be uh, with Kevin. So I kind of feel like that if you could use Lori to sort of be the connective tissue to sort of be trying to pry Evie back to the Murphys and then also sort of like uh, be following what Meg is doing. I think that's sort of a good way to sort of keep all of these people in play for a season three. That's awesome. I love the idea of, uh, of Lori having to kind of, you know, bring Evie back. And I, I feel like some we need some really good scenes with with Lori and Meg. I feel like that's really Evie. What we need you to do is to hug my son, Tommy. Yes, that's, yeah. that's all you need to do. <laughs> or Lori has to hit Evie with the car, maybe. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be really good. Um, all right. What, what else should we should we start diving into some of the questions from you guys that we that we've got here? Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Uh, Edwin Johnson had a good one. Might we see a different main character take the journey to the International Assassin Hotel? Uh, what, what's the, let's go around the horn. Antonio, do you think we're going back to the hotel? Well, <laughs> is that in the uh, rap song by In Too Deep, Josh? Uh, no, I think that it's possible that we will um, see the hotel again. We talked a lot on our feedback show about how Lindelof in his New York Times Q&A sort of suggested that the woman who's speaking Spanish in Kevin's first international assassin experience is sort of key to what their perception of the international assassin world is. And we talked about how that woman probably is unrelated to Kevin uh, and maybe is on her own sort of journey. And so that this is a place where multiple people uh, can go or end up. So I think that at least it seems on the surface, like the breadcrumb trail is the show has established that this is a world that isn't just Kevin's, that this is a world where other people can enter. Um, And so I think that it's possible we see another character end up there. Uh, I don't know uh, if that will be through choice, like AJ suggested, which I think would be really interesting with Virgil being stuck to John. Uh, but I think that it, I, I don't think we, we are I, – I wouldn't I wouldn't have a problem if we ended up there again. I think that it it's potentially problematic if the show uses it as a crutch. Um, this isn't Cheers where they're feuding with, you know, Gary's Bar every year and we're going to have International Assassin every season. But um, if we have some hints of that uh, or some version of that, I think that would be great. And I think John would be a perfect candidate to do it. Yeah. 
Uh, AJ, what's your take? Do you think we're going back to the hotel? I we we kind of poo pooed Ghost Virgil, but I love Ghost Virgil. I think that's a great idea. Oh, like I said, I, I think to me, uh, even if it's, even if there is no Ghost Virgil, I think if someone is going to go to the hotel, it'll be John with Kevin going as his guide um, because we know that Kevin can go there many many times, and he still has two or more outfits to wear. So. Yeah, that's right. Um, Rob, what did you think of International Assassin? Just the the episode and the concept. I loved it. I hope that we flash back to Patty on Jeopardy. I really, I really love that. <laughs> I, I, you know, one of my takeaways from that episode that I, I didn't hear anybody talk about or read about when, you know, when Patty talks about how when she was on Jeopardy and the person who was the returning champion didn't speak to her and that was so powerful. Was that the whole, the genesis of the no speaking from the guilty remnant of was just this random guy? just happened to be in the green room not talking to patty and she built a whole philosophy around this yeah, yeah. someone tracked that guy down because uh, he started something maybe yeah. maybe and is that why she writes the things down it's just like final jeopardy of uh, i'm surprised <laughs> that they're not all like answering like what is who are you yeah right. or, or is it the meta idea that the show presents you answers in the form of questions oh right. i like that um <laughs> but uh that that being said in terms of uh um, will we go back to the hotel? I say that I would say if Kevin goes back to the hotel and ultimately dies in season three, I am very okay with that. But if any other character goes to the hotel, the International Assassin Hotel, it is uh, j- Jump the Shark. And I feel like that uh, it is uh, the show can could could not with a straight face say that there's any sort of ambiguity on it. I already think that they have a problem with that. But then that would be, you know, such a uh, smoking gun with that. And also, I think that the parallels to Lost and season six and all of the, you know, purgatory things that people don't like about that. I think for Damon Lindelhoff, I think it would be. I, I think he would be leaning, leading in with his chin and uh, waiting for people to smack him down to do that, to put any other character going to the International Hotel. Yeah, so you would advise against that, that you would take that out of the think tank. I would say if you want to go back and kill off Kevin in the process where he can't leave this time, then that's fine. But I think any other character there, I think, would be a bad idea. Uh, Aaron Cockrell wrote in and said, might we see the gang heading to Australia next season? It feels like with so much Australia uh, happening throughout, you know, just as like little mentions here and there throughout season two, uh, with the fact that Kevin's father was there. Uh, AJ, do you feel like we have, how much Australia do we have to do? It feels like we have to do some, but does it have to be a full season? Does it have to be an episode? What do you think is the appropriate amount of Australian action? I I think it's episode one. I think it's episode one with his father and we watch his father's adventure. And then that kind of sets the stage for everything to follow. And then he, you know, he comes back home, uh, wherever that home may be, whether it's Miracle or Mapleton. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's your inroads to season three. You start off with, with his journey, maybe, you know, Aboriginal, maybe he sees a cave there that kind of parallels the season two start or something. I don't know exactly what, what we're going to encounter there, but I think you can spend one episode there, anything more than that. And it's, I think it's not the leftovers anymore. Um, Anthony, what do you think? How much Australia do we got to do? Yeah, I think I think I'm more with AJ that I want to go there. I want to go to there uh, with the Liz Lemon style, and I'd like to see some things. Uh, but I, I don't <laughs> necessarily want to transport the whole season there. I do want to see the Murphys. I do want to see more about John Murphy, especially. And I think that if you take the whole show and you put it in Australia, that becomes very difficult. So I think there's a way to do that. I mean, like we talked about on our kind of wrap up podcast. Kevin and Kevin should be very interested in comparing notes with Kevin Sr. at this point. And in the comparing of notes, I think you have the opportunity to have Kevin at least visit Australia if he can't 
track his dad down by other means. His dad appears to be, I don't know, in some sort of like hybrid aboriginal tourist state where uh, it's, it's hard to know if his dad's gone fully native, he's on a walkabout, what he's up to. But I think that Kevin tracking down Kevin Sr. is a, is a strong possibility uh, in at least one episode for season three. Uh, Bob Phelan wanted to know new theme song. I love the one for season two, but do they, do they need to continue to change it every year? Uh, so do we do we want to get rid of Let the Mystery Be? And if so, should we workshop some some theme song suggestions? Do we got any? Uh, how about Howard Jones always asking questions? Always asking questions. <laughs> I think that there's a possible. I mean, that is an Iris Dement uh, song through and through. Uh, but that's uh, that's her cover, I think. Uh, or maybe I'm not sure who wrote the song. I think maybe she did write it. But I think there are probably other versions of it uh, and covers out there. The Wire used covers of uh, Down in the Hole, uh, Tom Waits song for every season. So we could maybe do a cover of Let the Mystery Be in a slightly different feeling and version. Yeah. Rob, what do you think? New song or do you like the one we've got? I'm good with the song we have. I feel like the original season one stuff, I always felt like that was kind of wonky in terms of like what was going on there. I felt like it wasn't really the right tone, <laughs> but I feel like that with the new theme song, especially we started ditching the cold opens about halfway through uh, season two. It's sort of fun when you know you put it on and uh, a little bit, uh, you know, it's a little bit actually like of a happy song, uh, which is yeah. kind of a, a little counterintuitive for the show. Like the first time it was like too, it was like too intense. And then uh, the second time I feel like it was a little too uh, happy go lucky, but I feel like overall it's fine. I don't think you need to so worry about it. So maybe we need to mash up Let the Mystery Be with just like the awful, horrifying imagery of the opening credits from, from season one. And maybe that'll be the we could strike the balance. Sure. Um, Can I also right, weigh in get... on the Australian thing uh, real quick? Yeah, of course. I feel like that. Um, I don't think we should do a whole season there. And I feel like that the uh, it, taking all of the Garveys there feels like sort of like, uh, you know, Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii to go and bring all of them there. But I feel like if you did had one episode that was sort of like the Meg episode, you know, and where we end up seeing, uh, you know, Kevin's dad for like one episode and sort of like his his journey of like maybe seeing the vo- the person that he's seeing and seeing like his whole like last couple of year journey to get back to where he is, where we see like a different point of view on things, just like we did with Meg, where we followed her over the past, like where we the whole season where we didn't see her. I feel like that that would be, uh, you know, somewhere fun along the way. I could see that being like the episode eight, episode nine type of thing. Um, Tamir Markowitz said on Facebook, and this I want to throw this to you, Rob. Is Nora Durst the best female character ever? I mean, ever. Uh, and Antonio and I have have talked about how much we love Nora. AJ has weighed in on how much Nora is awesome. Rob, what's your take on Nora Durst? She's very awesome. I think to call her the greatest TV character of all time, I think, is a bit of a reach. At it's this a point. lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. But did, but what are your what's your take on her just overall? She, you know, I really love her. I feel like uh, season two, I found I feel like she was a little underserved. I don't think she had a lot to do. She had basically the one episode that was sort of her POV episode. But other than that, I feel like she was sort of just like a basically a secondary character this season yeah um antonio we we already touched on half of marshall kissner's question which was uh fearing for the the potential momentum killing love triangle story between kevin laurie and nora but the first part of the question was what are some storylines you would not want to see touched on in season three for you what can't we go towards like what what cannot happen in season three which stories do we just want to either forget or just don't want to go down that path at all. I don't think we need to end up anywhere back in Mapleton. Damon Lindelof expressed some 
uh, unless they want to move everyone back there. Damon Lindelof expressed some regret that they had to leave some of the actors from Mapleton behind and didn't use them in season two. Uh, Michael Gaston, the guy Dean who was shooting dogs with Kevin, uh, the, woman the, play, the woman who plays the mayor, the Frost twins, uh, the girl who was uh, Will She Won't She with Kevin Garvey, all those actors. Um, Damon Lindelof expressed some regret in season two not being able to work them in. I hope we don't re- relocalize the show in Mapleton. I think a, a real strength of the show in season two was getting away from that and getting not only outside that sphere, but to a town that was sort of the polar opposite where no one had been affected. And I think that that was really fascinating storytelling. And I think the way they built the narrative for this season, having that ultimate, have that, having that town now ultimately be impacted by everything from the outside world. I think we got to see that play out. Mm -hmm. And I think that going back to Mapleton doesn't really add anything um, one way or the other uh, to the meta story of the leftovers. I, I'm sure if they did it, they'd find a way to make it work, but I'm not as interested in seeing anything really more in Mapleton at this point. Um, Rob, I remember you texting me when you got to the first episode of season two <laughs> saying that you were sad to be done with Mapleton, that you, you, you thought it was a little jarring to go to Jarden. How did you ultimately feel with all that? And are you done with Mapleton? Yeah, I'm done with Mapleton. There's nothing there in Mapleton. The show has to stay in Miracle the rest of the way because, uh, Matt is, has the whole thing with Mary. He's not leaving. And because by proxy, then, uh, you know, Nora just put $3 million down for a house. They're not leaving. So these next 10 episodes, it makes no sense for the Garveys to to leave Miracle for any. I mean, maybe they might leave it for an episode, but, you know, we're not uh, shifting the location of the show. I wouldn't think. But, uh, yeah, I did think that the beginning of the first uh, the second season was a bit slow. I was very invested with, you know, all of the stuff with going on with the guilty remnant that came out of uh, the back half of uh, season one. And then I felt like it was a little bit slow. I wasn't super invested in what was going on with the Murphys, uh, those first couple episodes. But I felt like things definitely uh, did pick up. And I was happy to see, you know, the, the first episode of season two that I really liked was the episode with Laurie uh, talking about what was going on with the Guilty Remnant back in Mapleton. And I liked how we brought the Guilty Remnant to Miracle. So I'm very happy with uh, the direction they took. And what are some of the stories that we can't touch on in season three? What are what are some of the no-nos? You talked about how if we go back to the hotel, that's that's shark jumping if it's not through Kevin. Uh, what are some of the other big no-nos? Not the Marcasian no-nos. <laughs> Boy, um, for me, I'm not really sure what's left to cover with, uh, you know, uh, with Reverend Matt. I felt like, uh, you know, while he's so good, I felt like that his episode and his plight, I felt like, you know, he does some, so many dumb things that, uh, you know, he's just like the one character that I'm like yelling at the TV in terms of what he, what he's doing. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to see too much uh, with, uh, you know, with. With, with what's going on with Tommy, he's another character that he's always doing like uh, dumb stuff. Josh, I know you were upset when he was like getting all drunk and like yelling at the uh, the guilty remnant. The worst, right? The worst. Uh, and then uh, the uh, uh, the daughter uh, Jill, uh, I feel like that you know her love her love story. I don't want to see uh, too much uh, too much going on there with that. I feel like you know we've only got ten episodes. Let's not you know mess around too much with uh with all the kids on the show aj what are your no-nos what don't you want us to to get into when we go to season three yeah i just i just don't think we need to do anything that uh, involves the, the scientists uh, you know who bought nora's house or you know any, any of that stuff i think if, if you're going to take the stand as the creator of the show and say we're not going to answer these questions then let's not even bring it up in the final season uh let, you know we understand people are looking into it i don't need to, to spend any time on that um, you know, and I, I don't really want to see Tommy go anywhere. 
outside of the town and maybe, you know, pursue any more uh, residual Holy Wayne guilt or anything like that. Let's, let's let that storyline die as well. Uh, let's focus on the people that the people, you know, let's focus on, on the, on the Murphys. Let's focus on the Garveys and, and let's, let's resolve their personal stories with each other uh, and, and work on that. Anything that takes us away right. from that is, is wrong. All right, so let's let's wrap up with with this last question. This is from Dave Backer, who said, "How about this for a series ending? People who left slash were taken during the sudden departure just as suddenly come back." And I think uh, that's that's one that's one pitch. I see AJ shaking his head. AJ, how do you think that they're going to address it if they're going to address it at all? You know what what is the, what's the final statement on the departure going to be with season three of the leftovers? I, I, I think I think there are, to me there's only two really possible ways you end this the show. One of it is that everybody comes back in the last five minutes and and you know you're left with oh my gosh what happens now. Um, I think that's the cop out. I think a more powerful ending would be that everybody disappears except for Kevin and Nor. Oh god! Wow. <laughs> and then it's the yeah. backdoor pilot for uh, the Last Man on Earth too. Something like that. But yeah, I, th- I think yeah. I think another departure to me is more powerful than people coming back. Um, what do you think, Rob? How do you think that the departure is going to get handled? You know, they keep saying we're never going to tell you where they went or why they went or how they went or, you know, any of those questions. Um, do you think that there's going to be some extra statement on the nature of the departure? Is there going to be a secondary departure? What's your prediction? You know, the second sudden departure is interesting. And I could also see that being a jumping off point for season three where, that, you know, does that give the guilty remnant more power, less power? I think that that's uh, an interesting way for the show to go. I do think that, you know, we're going to end this show on an emotional note more so than anything that we're going to get with with answers. I'd be surprised if we really had any, any sort of like sort of like global sort of ending to this story as opposed to I feel like the ending to the series is going to be probably quite similar to the ending of season two where they walked away from it seeing that this could have been the ending to the show. I think it's going to probably be similar tonally. Uh, Antonio, give us give us your hot take. Uh, the departure, it's a it's a big deal. It's the it's the jumping off point for this entire show. Um, where where are we going to leave with that? What's going to be the final statement on the nature of the departure, whether there's going to be a follow up or anything like that? Yeah, I don't uh, I, I still think the show is going to stick to their guns about what they've said from the jump, which is that they're not going to explain the departure. I do think that they said that initially because it wasn't explained in uh, Tom Perlotta's book. So it's possible now that they're beyond the source material that they've changed their opinion. Um, there was a headline uh, earlier this season that said Damon Lindelof says tonight's episode does that thing that they said they're never going to do. So I think Josh, you and I assumed that maybe that would be departure related. It wasn't. Uh, so I don't know if we're going to go there in season three. I hope they don't personally. Um, I like that the show has exists in this world where like our world where there are some things that we just can't explain and that don't make sense to us. And maybe they will ultimately have a scientific explanation and maybe they won't, uh, but they, they exist in the world. They happen. So I, I prefer that this show kind of revels in that, uh, than that this show give us an answer to that or have it happen again. If it happens again, um, I think it's there's there's a way to handle that that doesn't ruin it, uh, but I I don't need it to happen again to be satisfied with a, a season three of this show, and I would probably prefer that it didn't. Cool. Um, all right, so let's start wrapping up. AJ, any final leftovers thoughts or anything you're working on that you want to plug before we get out of here? 
Uh, I'll go with the plug because I think we've covered the leftovers uh, very well, and I'm, I'm excited for season three. I, I, I hope they don't screw it up. That's and, and I think that's my feeling going into it. It's like I, I I don't necessarily have the confidence that they'll knock it out of the park again because the season was so great. I hope they don't screw it up. Um, if you guys follow the show, the the hundred. Uh, Joe Garfine and I have a podcast called The Dropship, The 100 Podcast, and you can find it on iTunes. We're recording a new episode on Monday, and that should be up by Wednesday. So uh, check it out if you're a fan of the show, if you just want to find out what the show's about. Uh, season 3 is coming up in January. Awesome. Follow AJ on Twitter, at AJ Mass. He'll tweet out the links to all of that stuff. Uh, Rob, any final leftovers things? Anything that you didn't talk about leftovers-wise that you wanted to get off your chest? Anything that you wanted to give, uh, give this podcast a hug about? <laughs> No, it's just a fun show. Uh, I really appreciate you guys uh, having me on. You guys did such a great job of uh, covering the show, and it was so much fun to be able to, on the binge, not have to wait for the podcast to go up just to know that they were all right there, and I could just go in and uh, listen to you guys uh, talk about all this stuff. So that was uh, very, very fun. Uh, My one last prediction is that uh, Matt and Mary's baby uh, will be born maybe in the uh, season premiere, uh, but will be the reincarnation of Holy Wayne. Oh no! Yes, no. and then it'll really make uh, like a, a whole battle, uh, a whole battle over religion between Matt and uh, Holy Wayne uh, as his uh, as his son. But uh, yeah, that being said, uh, very much looking forward to talking uh, with Antonio coming up here in a little bit about Nathan for you later today. Yeah. So what's what's going on there, Antonio? What's going on in Mo Show's recap today? Yeah, Mo Show's recap, the show we record every Friday, talking about a different show or a different uh, episode or a different season of television. We're talking about Nathan for you, uh, Nathan Fielder's Comedy Central show, which I've really been just recently getting into, and it's hilarious. Uh, Rob and I will be talking about that. So that'll be fun, uh, and I'm really looking forward to to kind of that that show exists in a world that is wholly unlike the world of the leftovers. Uh, you even though it is sometimes <laughs> just as just as baffling uh, the reactions of people to certain things. So um, really looking forward to, to talking about that show. And I've just really enjoyed talking about the leftovers all season. Uh, thank you, Rob and AJ for the kind words about how we've really kind of covered it and, and wrapped everything up. Uh, I know Josh and I really enjoyed talking about this. Uh, I don't think we'll have much more to say on leftovers season three, unless are on leftovers in general until season three, unless something changes or unless something bubbles to the surface. But, I would definitely encourage you guys, if you're not, to subscribe to our feeds for the leftovers and for uh, post-show recaps in general. And I think Josh can give you that information. But uh, by subscribing to the feeds, if we do happen to uh, pop one of those up, uh, it'll be right there in your feed for sure. So, yeah. So postshowrecaps.com slash leftovers iTunes is the leftovers stuff. And just everything post-show recaps in general, postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. We're doing a lot over here. And, yeah, Antonio and I, we've had a blast talking leftovers all season long. Really fun getting AJ and Rob on here as well. And I think you're right. I think we're probably done yammering on about the leftovers for at least a little while. If that changes, we'll let you know. But it's been it's been a real great ride. Uh, so follow all these guys on Twitter. AJ's at AJ Mass. Rob is, of course, at Rob Sesternino. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro 2Zs 1R. I'm at Round Howard. Uh, Rob's got the kill switch for ending this podcast. So we're going to we're going to suddenly depart now. And thanks, everybody who's been tuning in and has been, you know, really just been gracious with their comments and interacting with us about the leftovers. I'm very, very psyched that we've got a season three. So we'll, it'll be a little while before we're back, but we'll be back. And that's, that's the best part. So take care, everybody, and uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Everybody is wondering what and where they all came from. Everybody is worrying about where they're going to go when the whole thing's done.